I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, welcome to, I guess, a long overdue another episode of the Touch Em All podcast. It's probably been about two weeks since we've recorded. An, have we recorded anything even since the trade deadline? It's been, yeah, it's I mean, been like we put stuff up on the feed, so people have been listening to our radio. We've been we've been a little quiet. Yeah, and I so let let's start. This is just going to be a ten or fifteen minute episode, and I want to throw a Byron Buxton thing at you because he's been great lately, but. Just because we both feel a pretty strong connection to this audience, to all you guys listening, and we love the interaction after the episodes, emails and tweets. Um, and I and I, I explained to the radio audience, I've missed a lot of time lately because my mother was diagnosed with um, the the rarest blood cancer, basically, that you can be diagnosed with back Actually, back on election night, a Democrat being told on election night, oh, not only is this day terrible because Hillary Clinton's not going to win, but you have been diagnosed with a terrible blood cancer. Mm-hmm. Seven and a half months was the life expectancy on average, and she grinded nine. And so, yeah, she passed away last Thursday at the age of 61. And we don't have to dive fully into this. Maybe that's for like, maybe we start like a grieving podcast and dive into the analytics of grieving, but. It's it's definitely the biggest punch I've ever taken in my life. It's the most devastated I've ever felt. And I, I thank, first of all, you for being awesome just at, at 1500 ESPN here. Um, all the management for letting me take multiple days off from the radio show. And I would, I guess I'll, I'll just say this one last thing and then we can move on to, to some twin stuff. But I have this amazing, conflicting feeling for anyone who's lost a parent who they're they're close to or who maybe is the most important person in their life. Maybe you felt the same way. Overwhelming and devastating sadness on one hand, but also this other feeling that I've never thought that I would have before, which is wanting to pick up someone's torch and just run with it. Wow. And, and like take their spirit and their message and their legacy and do right by it. Yeah. Wow. So I'm super fired up right now is what I'm saying to talk some baseball <laughs> That's amazing. and well, be really nice to people. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was incredible. Your social media posts seeing the 10 things that you'd learned from your mom. And I'm sure it's, you know, 50 short, but yeah. trying to condense it into a list of 10, that was really powerful. And then just on a personal to seeing working with you yesterday for the first time, I'd seen you since your mom passed away. And the fact that you just were like the same Oh, here's a problem. Here's how we tackle it. Move on. What's the next one? I was like kind of overwhelmed by the 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 spirit that you showed yesterday and now being here for a podcast too. So thanks for being here, Phil. And I'm going to bring the same spirit to my Byron Buxton takes right now. Right. Very level-headed. All of and, the takes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we only, yeah, we're just going to do a short episode here because we have some time constraints behind the scenes, but we will, now that this, I think starting here pretty shortly, now that this chaotic period of my life is is in the rearview mirror for now. Um, we'll be able to pump out more content, but I, so the twins are in it right now. The twins are, as we record this, a half game out of that second wildcard spot. Yeah, this is the biggest series of the year, Cleveland. And then also a really good national league team yeah. in the diamondbacks. But if you can, yeah, if you can make some hay at home here and if you could take four out of six, it would be enormous. And you'd probably be in a wildcard spot for sure at the end of that stretch. But 
I remember saying on our radio show with Judd, and I think you were probably on one of those days too, that the Twins, even though they waved the white flag at the trade deadline, they can still make the playoffs if four things happen. I wouldn't put money on all four of these things happening, but they're kind of happening now that we go back and look the last few weeks or so. Take advantage of a week schedule after you get done with Dodgers, Yankees, and Astros. Check. Uh, make sure that the mediocre teams that you're competing with for those wild card spots, so not the Astros and the Indians, but the teams like the Mariners and the Rays that you're trying to jump over, the Royals, those mediocre teams, they have to remain mediocre. Check. They have. Barrios was one of them, and, and he hasn't been great lately, but he's still been one of their better pitchers, big picture. And the fourth thing on that list was Byron Buxton. Has to play really well in the final two months if you want to make the playoffs. And I would say check. If you go back to July 1st, he's batting like 330 since July 1st. The strikeouts are way down. You saw in Detroit over the weekend, two huge game-changing hits, a home run to opposite field, and a line drive single up the middle to break a game, uh, a 4-4 tie, I think, in the eighth inning. So I, I guess the question is, is this just another hot streak for Buxton, or is this light bulb going on? I... I... Now, you're not going to like this answer. I already know. I need to see like 500 plate appearances in a row of Buxton being this guy for me to believe in him. It's encouraging. You see it. The contact rate's going up. He's no longer overmatched. He gets a two-strike breaking ball off the plate, and now he has a fighting chance to take it. Mm -hmm. When he was slumping, he had... I'm the non-zero guy. He had a 0% chance of taking some of those nasty breaking balls off the plate. The fact that he's learned that, and it seems like it's a long time coming, but keep in mind, 23 years old, that's where this conversation starts and ends, is the fact that most guys are in double-A, triple-A, hoping to be a September call-up, and Buxton's a household name now. I mean, he's struggled, but he's a household name. So, like, on the one hand, it's really encouraging that he's been a different hitter. He's not only making more contact, he's making harder contact. Yeah, you mentioned the sometimes he goes center field sometimes he goes right center field he's tracking the pitches deeper no there's the crowd out there that's going to be mad he's not trying to pull the ball more often incorporate that big leg kick and try to hit 35 home runs i personally am encouraged by buxton's recent developments that he's making the contact that he's sort of building the foundation as we talked about yesterday on your radio show he's building the foundation to become an excellent hitter without without contact short of some of the very best premier power hitters in the game it's super hard to be a great and valuable hitter they're you know chris carters of the world are a dime a dozen but it's hard to find the miguel cabreras the um you know that echelon yeah. of hitter who who the mike trouts who's not only hits for power but is a good hitter on top of also having crazy power i don't think buxton ever reaches that category but if he's just like a good hitter hits some home runs, and plays gold-glove defense and steals roughly 100% of his stolen base opportunities, and those start to come more and more and more because he gets on base more and he gets better at reading pitchers and moves and stuff like that. He's an incredibly valuable player, not just like in the distant future, but right now yeah, for he, the Twins. He actually, and if if you want to think of it, if you don't want to go, go deep in the the statistical weeds, he he has been worth a win and a half above replacement level, which is pretty darn good. He's on pace to be like a two or a two and a half WAR player, according to Fangraphs. But 
He's been, I believe, plus 20 in terms of defensive runs saved, the, the defensive plus minus, which okay. isn't to be taken as gospel, but it's just kind of a loose measuring stick. Let's say he's been worth, I don't know, 25 or 30 runs above replacement defensively for that position, premium position. If you want, hell, just tack on that total to his RBIs if it helps you conceptualize yep. <laughs> him as a player better. Right? I was going to try to say that to Judd um, yesterday, and I realized we were kind of running out of time, so I didn't want to try to shoehorn this in there. But Judd's talking about how he's like, we might be underrating this guy defensively. And 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 I could see him sort of talking around a point and, and getting to this. What I was going to say is every time Buxton takes away a double in the gap that nobody else in baseball catches, to me, that's the same as hitting a double. It's the same. I, yeah. Baseball is at its core, at its simplest form, as much as you can boil it down, it's about scoring runs and preventing runs. Yeah. And both are important. Modern baseball is starting to appreciate that a little bit more to the point where you see defensive first players really getting paid. Um, but I wonder, you know, how good are we right now at quantifying that? As, it's as a really, public? it's really easy to tell you. I, I, I know how many RBIs Paul Goldschmidt has, sure. or if you want to go sabermetric on it, you can, you can divvy up credit. If I draw a walk that pushes a guy into scoring position, and then the next batter drives that guy in, then I get a certain percentage of runs created credit for yep. just moving the chains. But uh, another another Byron Buxton related thread that we actually dove into on our radio show today, we brought up Kirby Puckett as an example. So Kirby Puckett actually, if you want to talk about late developing power or or developing a base like you talked about before the power comes. Kirby Puckett's first two years in the major leagues, and he became a Hall of Famer, and so I'm not saying that Buxton's like, oh, because I'm going to make a Kirby Puckett point that Buxton's a Hall of Famer. You heard but, here first, folks. Yeah, but Kirby Puckett only had four total home runs in his first two seasons, and then the power came along in year three. On top of that, Kirby Puckett was actually two or three years older than Buxton when he entered the major leagues. Age matters when evaluating players early in their careers. Byron Buxton at... What what was I guess year two in the big leagues has a fairly comparable OPS to Kirby Puckett after two years, but Puckett was twenty five years old instead of twenty three or twenty six years old, um, and so when when Kirby Puckett was twenty two or twenty three years old, which is what Buxton's been the last two years, he was in A ball. Sure, Byron Buxton is hitting game winning singles to center field at Comerica Park, so that there you deserve some credit for just being semi-productive in the big leagues at such a young age. Yeah. Well, but Mike Trout was 21 and Bryce Harper was 19. And yes, there are guys who can come in at 19, 21. Andrew McCutcheon was 21 and didn't need, he needed five minutes to adjust to big league pitching. Other guys like Aaron Judge, 25 years old when he figures it out. Brian Dozier didn't step foot on a major league diamond until he was 25 years old. Didn't figure it out until he was 26. Torrey Hunter was 25 years old. Hell, Justin Smoke and Aaron Hicks are like 30, and they're just <laughs> figuring it out for the first time. And I think, as frustrating as it can be with Buxton sometimes, he has the ceiling and the talent level that should make you want to be patient and wait for the payoff. Yeah, I'm I'm swimming outside my depths here because I didn't you know, follow. Certainly, I didn't cover any of Kirby Puckett's career, but I can say this with my hand on this Kleenex box. Uh, raise your right hand. Wow, this is this like under touch them all oath? I'm vowing to you that I don't remember anything about Kirby Puckett's career. Like I, I just don't have any baseball memories of Kirby Puckett playing for the Twins. But I will say that uh, what I understand, you know, 
after the fact is so he was a junior college player, right? And then Pat told me the other day, I didn't even know this. This shows my limited knowledge. He was one of those, uh, was it December or January draft? They have two drafts go- going back way far. And uh, Kirby Puckett was in one of those. So totally incomparable in terms of outside expectations yeah, looking was, in. You're right. He was the third overall pick in the 1982 January draft. And so isn't that amazing? I, I didn't really even know, know the that there is. was a January draft. Hmm. And Puckett was selected in that out of junior college, and it was kind of like, to me, even if you're the third pick in that draft, the media climate wasn't such that there's this external force pushing in on you from the day that you step foot on the, you know, yeah. on well, the Cedar Rapids field. Well, when FSN did a live broadcast of a Cedar Rapids Buxton game there a few years ago, like so, I, what you're saying is when Puxton, when when Puxton, I just blended them together. That was weird. Hall of Famer. When Puckett was was breaking out at age 26 for the first time, hit 31 bombs, was top six MVP uh, voting, gold gloves. That was a huge, pleasant surprise for Twins fans in 1986. Oh, who's this guy with the... This guy who was kind of a funny name and a decent hustle player. He's now like one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I don't know. You weren't expecting that to happen necessarily. With Buxton, everyone is waiting for it to happen. Well, it's if he's not Mike Trout, this thing didn't work out. Yeah. And... Look, I mean, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. I'm certainly a guilty party when you talk about building up expectations. I'd been hearing behind the scenes that Buxton was sensational, that you can't overhype this guy. Now, obviously, pump the brakes. Who are you hearing this from mostly? Oh, it's people with the twins, so they want him to be great, and they want that patience of, yeah, I know we're crappy right now, but hey, the future is bright. So I took all that with a grain of salt. But it still colors my sort of perception of him, and I think it does for fans at large, too. If you've been following the Twins much at all for the last five years, you know who Byron Buxton is. You knew who he was before he stepped foot on a major league field in Arlington. Like, camera crews followed him into the stadium. That doesn't happen for other rookies. You know, Alan Buznitz gets up here, and I'm not saying this happened. I don't think that it did, but you could be forgiven if you were a security guard and you didn't know who Alan Buznitz or Trevor, Trevor Hildenberger, yeah. were when they walked into Target Field for the first time. That wouldn't happen with Byron Buxton, even in a visiting ballpark. So it, I'm not saying that's a huge um, driver of what's happened. It's not like a catalyst for his early failings, but I do think it plays a part in it, and that's one of the things that I've been most impressed with Buxton. Uh, the first thing I'd say is his defense. That's the thing that stands out. But the second thing is his sort of, uh, like quiet resiliency. There's this confidence that I, I'm telling you, Phil, I've talked to Buxton on days where he is down. I mean, he is blue. Doesn't doesn't uh, necessarily wear it in public. He's not like going out there, sitting in the dugout on a day that he's been benched because he's 0 for 12 or whatever and, and pouts about it. But then you, you can you can talk to him and you can sense it's there. The thing that I've been most impressed behind his defense is that sort of resiliency to not let that failure of the first, what, three years, really, drag you down to the point where you start to question, am I good yeah. at this game? And when you're making catches that Tory Hunter is wowing over and giving that you helps. a standing ovation, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. It's funny watching him play center field, and I saw this on TV in the past week, how much respect he's earned from his middle infielders and the corner outfielders. It's like, you see some guys going for a ball, I got it, I got it, I got it, and then there's this contest thing where the taller guy catches it and they sort of 
bump into each yeah, other. They all just clear out for Byron. <laughs> and because he's running full speed <laughs> and he already like collided with someone in the minors and yeah. they don't want to be that guy. As too. soon as you hear Byron Buxton is like in the same ballpark, you just turn and run the other way. Yeah, he's got it. If it's only fine. the wall could move out of the way for him too, <laughs> then he'd be fine. I think Judd's more worried about that than anybody, but Let, yeah. let's put a wrap on this episode right now. We'll come back. We'll do more. We'll do more stuff. And, and you and I are actually going to be in Los Angeles for a podcast convention next week. And I'm sure we'll be able to rattle off an episode or two. Yeah. Uh, next week too but one last thing before we go glenn perkins is probably going to be in a twins uniform sometime soon it's happening and i don't really i don't think we need to break it down or anything but it would be a really cool story he just went back to back uh games for chattanooga and we were just texting back and forth after the start and he said my arm is attached and I, he's he's excited i don't think he thought this was going to be a possibility maybe even a couple months ago with sure. how bad his arm felt the cortisone shot and stuff but it would be a cool story if Glenn Perkins were able to come back and help this team in some capacity nab a wild card spot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a long road. And I think of things in terms of percentages. If you would ask me in February, what's the percent chance he comes back? I would have said maybe like 40. You give me two more months, I would have said eh, maybe like 25. Uh, yeah, me too. And then a, for sure. Maybe a month I ago. I think he might have said that too to some sure. degree. I think he thinks a lot of those. frustrating and he's very analytical. But Yeah, I mean, maybe it got down to as low as 5 or 10%. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, my sources are telling me he's on his way. So we'll see if it's if it's today as we record this on a Tuesday, if it's Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. But his 30 days rehab is coming up, and I would expect it to end at Target Field. And, hey. I don't know what he's going to have left, so I'm just as curious to see as anybody yeah. else. And he and he is too. I, yeah, he I is bet too. you he's <laughs> wondering. Maybe you get up against a major league hitter, you got a little extra juice, and there's another two miles an hour hidden in that shoulder. Yeah. But uh, impressive story, impressive comeback. Um, and I, I don't know what role he's going to take, but say this for the Twins. Closure is open right now. That's it's right. open. It's an open competition. Say this, middle of August, the Twins are making things interesting, and that's all you can ask for.